Good morning and welcome to the March 14th episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. My name is Ryan Joy, and on today's episode, we are talking about WrestleMania 2. We're going to be talking about the first 15 WrestleManias here as we close out the month of March. And with me to discuss WrestleMania 2 today is Mr. John DeCani. So, uh, John, how are you? Not bad, sir. How about yourself today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. One of the key matches in WrestleMania 2 is a battle royal uh, that Andre the Giant wins. It's a 20-man battle royal that includes members of the NFL and everything. So in honor of that, I wore my Andre the Giant uh, t-shirt where Andre is clutching the can of uh, Molson Canadian, I believe. So so there you go. I've got that shirt on for just this occasion because when else am I going to wear it? So... (laughs) But and of course, uh, it looks like a shot glass in his hand. It does, yeah, tiny. So, uh, by the way, if you want to see the shirt, there is a video version of this up on our our Facebook, YouTube. Uh, you can go over and check that out. So, uh, but WrestleMania two, John, April seventh, nineteen eighty six, an attendance of forty thousand fans. Of course, it was spread over three different venues: one in New York, one in Chicago, and one in Los Angeles. New York was the Nassau Coliseum, Chicago the Rosemont Horizon. And in Los Angeles, the L.A. Memorial Sports Arena. Uh, Chicago only drew 9,000 fans. The other two, uh, 16,000 and 14,000, respectively, for New York and Los Angeles. So uh, definitely split the team here. Yes, and uh, it also should be noted that this is the only WrestleMania to have taken place on a Monday. I Really? I didn't have that in my notes. It was a Monday. No yeah, and at the time, I guess that's, you know, now you think about any wrestling pay-per-view not taking place on a Saturday or Sunday, and it's utterly perplexing. But uh, back then, Monday nights were, you know, the big wrestling night, you know, going back to the, the days of the the garden shows and whatnot, and you know, not even necessarily on TV. You know, so wrestling on a Monday back then, it was not really a crazy thing. It would settle into its uh, its Sunday time slot for almost forever thereafter. But I, I just remember going through my notes and going like, what, like why? I, I spent like probably 30 minutes trying to do Google searches, figuring out why it was on a Monday. Was there a big event on Sunday? Was Monday a holiday? No, it just was. It was let's have some wrestling on a Monday. Yeah, funny thing is the first thing I thought of is, was Crockett running something on Monday that he needed to go up against? <laughs> you know, that's the first thing that popped into my head. But you know, and now we have mon- we have wrestling every Monday. You know, for the last thirty years, we've had Monday Night Raw on USA Network. What there was a slight diversion there over to what, Spike or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, but for the most part, I mean, it, Monday has continued to be a night for wrestling. So, huh. How about that for your fun fact? Let's put that in the list of things I didn't think I was going to learn on today's episode. Uh, the So with the three different venues, that meant that fans saw three to four live matches and then the rest of the card they watched on a big screen. So um, I would imagine it's, it's probably, it was probably similar to what you'd see today with the big screens. It's, it's kind of weird because when you watch the WrestleMania 2 broadcast, you don't see the screens that they're watching it on. But somehow they still got 17,000 fans into the Nassau Coliseum, 16.5, plus the screens. So either the screens were not big or um, the screens must not have been terribly big 
I yeah, would. It, it might have just been the the screen that uh, you know sits on the scoreboard for the hockey games. Well, that would be that would be a crime that you paid to yeah. watch it on that. Oof. <laughs> exactly. Um, we need to get somebody's firsthand account of that, so uh, mm. to let us know how that went. But um, so that meant the commentary teams were split as well. So in New York, we had Vince McMahon and Susan St. James. In Chicago, we had Gorilla Monsoon along with Mean Gene Okerlund at times and Kathy Lee Crosby. And in Los Angeles, we had Jesse the Body Ventura, Lord Alfred Hayes, and Elvira. So uh, celebrity interaction throughout the entire show, you know, where celebrities were involved with WrestleMania 1. On this show, there was not a moment without one. Right. And they weren't the highest of caliber, really. No, it didn't really work out as well as I think Vince had hoped. You know, I always bust Vince's balls for being a whore for any celebrity interaction, but a lot of this just didn't work. It didn't, you know, it didn't ruin it, but it certainly did not up the quality of the broadcast. Yeah, and and the commentary I made about the celebrities is not that they were not like high profile celebrities. It's just, you know, they weren't all, they really, some of them weren't familiar with wrestling at all. And they, it was very clear throughout the proceedings that I think somebody, one of the women mentioned that they hadn't watched wrestling since their grandparent took them or something like that. So, you know, (laughs) unfortunately, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like it really worked that well. Uh, Ray Charles sang America, the beautiful. um, And that, that is a clip that has become very famous over the years. Yes, that that is an an absolutely memorable rendition. That's a he did a fantastic job. Yes. So the things kick off in New York. There were four matches in New York. The opening contest was the magnificent Morocco versus Mister Wonderful. It ended in a double countout. Um, Wonderful uh, Morocco is with Fuji here, so it's interesting that in the year that has transpired from WrestleMania one to WrestleMania two, uh, Mister Wonderful has done a face turn. Uh, and so he is a face in this match. He's over huge. There's a great big pop for him. Uh, both men get counted out of the ring, and there's audible bullshit chants going on from the fans. And I didn't realize that they uh, they would chant bullshit back in the you know '86 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, this was there was total confusion at the ending. I mean, you you really had no idea watching this what had just you know why the bell rang or whatever. You like there wasn't. You didn't see the referee necessarily counting like they weren't yeah. kind of focusing on it. It wasn't until Fink made the announcement, both men have been counted out or, you know, referee has deemed this a double count out that uh, suddenly everyone was like, oh, really? And yeah, they, they didn't love it. So chalk that up for one of the crap finishes. Um, as I've as I mentioned throughout all of all of our WrestleMania episodes that we're doing in my head, there are more crap finishes than what there actually are. But <laughs> But Here's there's one. still plenty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Randy Savage making his WrestleMania debut on the card up next. He is the Intercontinental Champion. He is with Miss Elizabeth. He is wrestling George the Animal Steel. He does win by pinfall uh, to retain the Intercontinental Championship. Five minutes, ten seconds. George would eat a turnbuckle and kick out of the elbow smash. But uh, Savage uses a double leg takedown, puts his legs on the ropes, to remove all doubt that he is a heel here and uh yeah. and he gets the pin yeah george the animal steel at uh a, 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 a plucky 49 years old at this point wow <laughs> and this and uh, i i guess before before they headed out this what you know 
I, maybe I concentrate on these too much, but you know, there are famous moments, there are famous sound bites and whatnot. This match was preceded by the famous freak out, freak out promo by Randy. And uh, right. he's got the, 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 uh, the red letter uh, intercontinental title that he has destroyed with Brasso uh, over his shoulder. And uh, it's just a very memorable moment in time. Yes. Uh, Gene Okerlund, we go over to Chicago and Gene Okerlund has a, an interview with Bill Freilich and Big John Studd. And it was a pretty good interview, John. Yeah. Uh, and Bill Freilich, uh, it, it's he's one of those guys that I almost can't believe Vince let get away. You know, he he 100 percent and not all the NFL players do. He 100 percent looks the part almost yeah. uh, an early rendition of uh, Ken Shamrock. I would say he, yep. he physically resembles. He definitely looks the part here and he uh, looks like he probably has been a wrestling fan his whole life because he can deliver a promo. Yeah, he had that cocky arrogance to him he would have been a great heel it is shocking that you know they never did anything with him after this uh to my to my knowledge john i don't think he ever did anything in wrestling after this no no he did he did some announcing for uh for football on both the college and the pro level and then just kind of disappeared from the sports world i guess one and done for him and that was enough but uh Moving on to uh, Jake Roberts got a win over George Wells. Probably the only time we'll talk about George Wells uh, on this show. Um, but well, I mean, victory for Jake, three fifteen. I'm okay. sure at some point we'll do a big special on you know Canadian football, where George Wells would, of course, then come up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll have to be one that you lead us through because I don't even know what you're talking about right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's George Wells's background. He was a he played for the Canadian Professional Football League. But uh, okay, okay. yeah, I don't I, because I don't know about you, but I don't. Do you remember him? Do you even remember him in the WWF? Because I sure don't. No, no. This is the only time I I'm aware of him having a match. I mean, I know he did more, but it's the only one I can recall. Three minutes fifteen seconds. DDT for the win. Jake making his uh, WrestleMania debut as well here. Yes, and he, according to Vince McMahon, he's the un, he's the undefeated Jake Roberts at this point. Mm. Although his snake doesn't have a name, and neither does his finisher at this point. I didn't pick up on that. Oh. Well, you know, I just it, sometimes we assign things mentally, and you know, like when uh, you know this this is one of those cases where he does the DDT, and in my head, oh yeah, DDT for the win, and nobody, I, I didn't realize that it was not a DDT yet. So interesting. Mm. Jesse Ventura then interviews Hulk Hogan over in Los Angeles. Hogan has injured ribs. Ventura says, nice guys don't always finish first. You know, that's the whole story about this King Kong Bundy thing. Uh, that's the main event. It's King Kong Bundy versus Hulk Hogan in a steel cage. And Bundy squashed Hogan a couple of times uh, leading up to this. And did you think for a second, John, we'll get into this at the end, but did you think for any moment that uh, – Bundy would win here? Did, did you think that people thought he could win? I, you know, I don't know if 12-year-old me thought he could win. I probably didn't because I was already sick and tired of Hulk Hogan and a, <laughs> and a pessimist. So the more and more Vince 
you know, the, the more cutaway segments we had to the doctor telling him he probably shouldn't even perform Hulk Hogan because his ribs were so damaged, the more I realized, yeah, that was all just a setup for the Superman comeback. Yeah, yeah. The main event in New York is a boxing match between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. T. Uh, the ring announcer is Joan Rivers. The judges are Daryl Dawkins and Cab Calloway. The timekeeper is Herb from the Burger King commercials. <laughs> Lou Duva and Ace Bob Orton are with Piper. Smoke and Joe Frazier and the Haiti Kid are with Mr. T. Piper just starts wrestling partway through and he gets DQ'd. 10 minutes, 15 seconds. So a DQ finish for your Nassau Coliseum main event. So on, on this particular show, the one that the New York crowd saw, they got a double count out. They got two real quick matches with Savage and uh, and Jake, and then a DQ in the in in the the final here, and um, not a real satisfying conclusion, if you ask me. No, and you know they had uh, plenty of the night still to go, but you know at this point you're watching on television the rest of the way, so yeah, I can't imagine a lot of people went home real real satisfied, and yeah. uh, although to be honest with you. The, you know, Roddy scoop slamming Mr. T and getting uh, disqualified put an end to what was not a great boxing display either by a man who played a professional heavyweight champion in a Rocky movie. Mr. Yeah. T could not really throw a punch, <laughs> maybe in a bar, but he certainly didn't look like a boxer. It's kind of funny, right? Like Roddy Piper, whose main core strength is uh, fake fighting, and Mr. T, who built his fame off of fake boxing and the two of them in the ring together couldn't pull off a live production of it. <laughs> and, you know, they, they were a little worried as they were in WrestleMania one, they were a little worried about Roddy shoot, you know, cause Roddy yeah. did have a, you know, a boxing back, you know, a little bit of a boxing background before they put the gloves on him, they taped his fists in a, they didn't tape his hands in between his fingers and whatnot. They taped his fist as a fist. So that when they put the gloves on him, where your fingers would curl into the front of the glove and now you'd be hitting with your knuckles, he was hitting with the extra padding of the glove because there was no fingers in the tip of the glove. Oh, so, the, so he wasn't, you know, he, I mean, the punches looked pretty decent from Piper, but they were having even less effect than he was trying to make them have. And of course he was, he, he you know, he behaved himself. He didn't go uh, crazy on Mr. T, but they just didn't trust them. So he was taped up in a special way to make sure he was less potent than he would be normally. Yeah. Well, the event would move to Chicago after that. And I mentioned before, Chicago had a 9,000 uh, person crowd in the Rosemont horizon. I've been in that building. I actually went to survivor series 2019. I think, yeah, I think that's right. Um, they had NXT war games the night before. So, uh, this was the Survivor Series that NXT was included in. So, uh, but anyway, lots of wrestling has happened in the Rosemont Horizon over the years, Absolutely. including WrestleMania two here and uh, WrestleMania thirteen, I believe, is the Rosemont Horizon. So, um, so lots and lots of wrestling in Chicago. Good, good wrestling town. So, John, what do we do? We in the in the opening contest in Chicago, we give them a barn burner, right? We go pr probably one of the most one of the most important matches of WrestleMania one was the women's world championship match. So 
we'll put that in the opening contest in Chicago. And it's probably going to go, what, they only got three matches here, so it's probably going to go, what, 60 minutes or something, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Moolah at a 60-minute Broadway, right? Now, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a given. Yeah, Wendy Richter was uh, got the big win on the previous WrestleMania, and it was a high, high-profile match. On this card, Fabulous Mula is the defending champion, and she gets a win over Velvet McIntyre by pinfall to retain the ladies' championship in one minute and 25 seconds, barely on the card. Velvet misses a splash. Mula gets the pin. So uh, real quick, in and out. And then to make matters worse, WrestleMania 1, women's match is one of the top attractions. WrestleMania 2, it's barely here. And then we go like seven years with no women's match after this. <laughs> and even, you know, even the, the less than 90 seconds you got out of this, like you said, Velvet missed uh, a splash. And then Moolah literally just jumps on her. Like yeah. there, there's a, a leg. She just kind of like, you know, jumps on top of her. One, two, three, we're out of here. Let, yeah, let's, let's be fair. This was not a minute 25 seconds of excellent wrestling. This was just a minute 25 seconds on the card. But let's okay. also be fair. Our ladies' champion is 62 friggin' years old. <laughs> you know, it's also very interesting um, that I think we talked about this yesterday uh, with the commentary on women's wrestling uh, and the journey that it has gone on. It was so important to WrestleMania one, and then WrestleMania two. It's not really that important. You got these very quick, basically a squash match by Mula here, and then you you pretty much falls off of the radar in WWF for like until the Lunder blaze comes around around WrestleMania 10 ish. Yeah. And then we, and then her, her tenure is not that long. Medusa goes back to WCW throws the, the title in the trash can and uh, women's wrestling. It, it does. It comes back at like sort of the, the TNA days, you know, like uh, not total nonstop action. The other <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> match era. Yes, yes. And so uh and then many years later we would get the the women's evolution movement where women's wrestling is again top of the card type of stuff. So what a what a journey women's wrestling has gone on over this last 40 years. Um but anyway, we talked a lot about a 1 minute and 25 second match here. So uh, Corporal Kirshner in the next match, getting his uh, a win here against Nikolai Volkov, who is accompanied by Freddie Blassie. Uh, he wins by pinfall in a two-minute and five-second flag match. Uh, Volkov did sing the national anthem, the uh, Soviet national anthem, but Blassie tossed in the cane. Kirshner intercepted it, nailed him with it, got the pin. Yeah, and that's pretty much all there is to say about it. Kirshner, you know, comes out to Quezon's uh, Go Rolling Along, the Army Fight song, and, you know, and he got to play it on his way out, too, because he got the victory, waved the flag. Yay. I think This is his only WrestleMania appearance, right? He wasn't at one, and he he is gone after this, right? I do believe, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not a guy I really even remember. Like, I watching this match, I almost feel like I didn't. Now, I know I watched WrestleMania, too, but it was kind of all new to me. Like, I, I don't even remember this one at all. That's how unfortunately unimportant it was. By the time the next year comes around, Jim Duggan is in, involved in WWF. So, you know, he's kind of takes that mantle as the, the Patriot and the anti uh, Soviet type of uh, causes on. So. Absolutely. He is Mr. Red, white and blue. Absolutely. That's right. 
So we talked about the 20-man battle royal. The timekeeper is Claire. The referee is Dick Butkus and Ed Tutal Jones. Commentary by the big cat, Ernie Ladd. The competitors are, and remember, some of these are from the NFL. Some of these are from the WWF. Bill Fralick, William Refrigerator Perry, Jimbo Covert, Harvey Martin, Ernie Holmes, Russ Francis, Andre the Giant, Big John Studd, Pedro Morales, Bruno San Martino, Tony Atlas, Tenor, Ted Arcidi, Dan Spivey, Hillbilly Jim, King Tonga, who is Haku, the Iron Sheik, B. Brian Blair, Jumpin' Jim Bronzel, Bret Hart, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart. Um, you know, if you watch this, you know, if you, if you grew, up, grew up my age, who is the same age as WrestleMania, by the time you're going back and watching WrestleMania 2, you're looking at this and you're like, oh, a bunch of NFL guys and, you know, some wrestlers, but no high-profile wrestlers in here. But if you know the history of wrestling, this is a pretty stacked royal uh, battle royal. Yeah, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, two of the first, what, four world champions in there. Uh, yeah. You've got, you know, this is Bruno's only in-ring WrestleMania uh, appearance. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty, it's even stacked to a degree from the NFL side because, um, the Chicago Bears just three months prior had won the Super Bowl in, you know, one of the greatest teams of all time. This is in Chicago and you have two uh, Chicago Bears in this, you know, obviously the one who you didn't even have to be a football fan to know who uh, William the Refrigerator Perry is. But uh, Jimbo Covert, their Hall of Fame offensive uh, tackle is in there as well. Uh you know, there's just there, there's just there's a lot. In, you know, the, the Heart Foundation, the Killer Bees, Danny Spivey, Hillbilly Jab. There's, it's more stacked than the casual fan, and probably, you know, like you said, you looking back on it, you look and go like, all right, there's some NFL players in here, blah blah blah. But it's Andre, Bruno, and Pedro Morales right off the top, three Hall of Fame legends. Exactly, and. Um, and throw in Iron Sheik, right? He's he was the eighth or ninth, eighth or ninth world champion, WWF world champion. So, and he was transitional, right? He was he wasn't the flag bearer. He wasn't the guy yeah. holding the torch for the company or anything. But uh, yeah, and and oh, by the way, Andre the Giants in this match too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, and Bret Hart, who is not who is not a star really at this time, but fast forward a, a decade, and he is among the t the biggest stars. So really when you look back at this match in a, a historical perspective, it's crazy. It's crazy stacked. Um Bruno unfortunately looked a little lost in this match. Um Big John Studd eventually eliminated him, but he lasted a long time and it was kind of cool to have him part of the legacy of WrestleMania even if it's in a small way. And and I think that's exactly what they were going for here. You know, we we got him uh by his son's side yeah, uh, at one WrestleMania, and then we actually got in, the, you know, to bl almost blew the roof off of Madison Square Garden, and then we got to see him between the ropes here, and that, you know, in retrospect, that is something special. Yeah, exactly. Andre won by last eliminating Bret Hart, um, and then we go back to New York, and Vince McMahon is interviewing Roddy Piper, and Piper accused Mister T of cheating. This Lost on me. 
<laughs> yeah, it was it was just it was he was being totally obnoxious, borderline racist. And, you know, it just you know, Roddy could get himself in some trouble. And it's probably best they cut away from this promo when they did. He is a great talker, but he always walks up to the edge of what you should say. And you know what? In those days, it was no big deal. Nothing he said was any big deal. Right. But, you know, you look at that with today's glasses and your lens lenses almost break. Yeah, you could definitely want something to be pissed about if you do. And 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 it's exacerbated by the fact that Roddy legitimately didn't like Mr. T. So yeah. There, there was always what is that. that uh, what is that saying you always say? Uh, passed for comedy, then gets you fired today. Get you fired <laughs> or, or canceled today? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the men, the Mijin Okerlunds with the, the Iron Sheik and Jimbo Covert. Uh, so to just talk with them, I guess, in sort of retrospect about the uh, battle royal they just had. So, yeah, they, they kind of, it, uh, I think we've discussed this before. It almost seemed like they were, tr- they, we talked about Bill Freilich and oh, how did Vince let this guy get away? At in this moment, Freilich and Covert are kind of going back and forth, like, oh, maybe are we, you know, are we somewhere down the line going to see these two NFL players have beef with one another? Nothing wound up coming out of it, but. You know, this is, as I said, Jimbo Covert, Hall of Fame uh, lineman for the Chicago Bears. And Bill Fralick, they're college teammates. They, they might have even been college roommates. They, uh, they, they protected Dan Marino on the same uh, University of Pittsburgh team uh, about four years prior. So they were obviously trying to do something here, but I guess it just didn't work out because they really never went back and visited again. Well, it wouldn't really be like Vince McMahon to, to like, tease something he couldn't deliver on. So, um you know, so stay tuned. Maybe, you know, WrestleMania 50, 52 <laughs> will have like a, you know, we'll, we'll have revisit. A rocking chair match. Yeah, <laughs> rocking chair match. <laughs> and, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't want this to go unsaid. Um, you know, how dare you just go right over our guest timekeeper as Clara? <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to please uh, enlighten me. The funny thing is, it, it relates to what we were just talking about. The, the, she's this. This is actually Clara Peller. She's the who's the, where's the beef lady. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that and what made me remember that was as we're getting ready to do this little Mean Gene stand up uh, with Covert and Freilich, is that you know we're gonna go throw to Mean Gene and he's got the beef with him because he's talking <laughs> to two offensive linemen. So they. <laughs> It just sparked in my brain right as I was reading this. So sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's that's good. I know this next match has to be somewhat special. It's probably the best match on this entire show, uh, and it's it's the British Bulldogs challenging for the tag team titles. But they have Captain Lou as their manager, and they have Ozzy Osbourne in their corner. The champions are Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake with Johnny Valiant in their corner. Uh, and it's a title change. It's the only one we're going to see on this show. Uh, it's the second year in a row that the tag titles have changed at Mania. Um, so Valentine used an inverted pile driver during this match. He picked him up for a pile driver, but then fell forward like a tombstone, if you can imagine that. It was kind of in- innovative, innovative, but it also like, he could kind have killed old. somebody with that. <laughs> maybe he did. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Uh, maybe that, you know, gave birth to the tombstone somewhere down the line. Uh, you know, 
uh, no less of a famous finishing maneuver than the DDT started out as a mistake. Yeah. You know, he had a guy in the front face lock and, you know, the, they didn't get their timing right. And he wound up falling. And then somebody went, Ooh, that looked good. You should, yeah. we, you should do that in that particular way. So yeah, this, this was just awkward, but you know, the Bulldogs. You know, uh, Drew McIntyre's Claymore kick was invented sort of the same way where he, he ran across the ring to give somebody a boot to the face. And I, I don't remember if he lost his balance, slipped on a banana peel or what, but his other leg went up and that's how the Claymore was invented. <laughs> I think the story goes that he realized he was in really tight pants. Yeah. And he, knew if he just gave the big boot. His pants were going to split. So he kicked up both yeah. legs. There you go. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the way this ends is that uh, Valentine and Dynamite Kid, they had a double noggin knocker and Davey fell on Valentine afterwards and got the pinfall. Uh, and with this victory, Captain Lou is a 16-time manager of champions. Uh, John, you covered Captain Lou uh, in, in, a, in an episode sort of looking back at his life. 16 times tag team champion manager? That's incredible. Amazing, yeah. And you and at the same time, you're talking about a guy who managed a whole bunch of heels who were basically just fed to champ. Like, I mean, the, an entire era of uh, the WWF and eventually WWF championship was Captain Lou talking to the crowd, making them absolutely hate him. So that the guy he was with that they didn't know was immediately over as a heel and could be fed to the champion. So he didn't get a lot of championship victories there. But that in the tag team ranks, boy, did he pile them up. Yeah, yeah. Episode 55 of the Daily Wrestling News Show. You can go back and listen to if you want to hear John's uh, look back at Captain Lou, the life of Captain Lou Albano. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, in the next match, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat going up against Hercules Hernandez. Uh, and Dragon gets a pin here in 734. High cross body off the top rope for the pin. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's the same exact finish he used the previous year to get the W. Um, I think he was uh, using the high cross body as a finisher, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and it, and uh, this is Hercules' first WrestleMania, and he would be featured in i want to say the next seven after this or or seven in a row i think he made it through to wrestlemania eight i think power and glory were had a match on wrestlemania eight if i'm not mistaken and so he was in all of them and i think he only won one match <laughs> yeah so. well he, he definitely put on a, a good showing here because i remember when i was re-watching this you know, when I think of Hercules, I think of the incredible physique and I think of yeah, a couple of famous matches where yeah. he famously lost and the chain and whatnot. But I don't necessarily think of him as a technician. Um, but I will tell you that, you know, obviously he's in there with Steamboat and Steamboat could have a good match with a broomstick. But this is a better than broomstick match out of Hercules. And, you know, it's worth mentioning here. Yeah, for sure. Um, However... Go. I'm sorry to interrupt you, sir. No? However, this match kind of sort of could have been better because the original plan was supposed to be Ricky Steamboat versus Brett the Hitman Hart in his uh, first real singles right. action and especially on a big stage. So imagine how good the match could have been had that plan originally come to fruition. I don't think we ever got really a high-profile Steamboat-Bret Hart match. 
I don't think it ever. I mean, he Brett was never out of the tag division while Steamboat was in WWF. And by the time Brett left WWF, I mean, Steamboat, I don't think was really wrestling anymore. I don't so, believe. Um, so that's kind of sad that we didn't get that match. I think that would have been incredible. I bet you if we try hard, we can find some Brett Steamboat matches or footage, but yeah. not high profile stuff. Right, exactly. They did. In fact, they did. When Brett mentions that he was supposed to be in this spot, he mentioned that the reason he, you know, it was very much news to him. I don't remember if it was the day of or the day before when he was told he would be in the Battle Royal with Neidhart because they had been working the house shows, yeah. Steamboat and Hart. So once again, going back to another episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, some really good matches are maybe lost to time because they happen yeah. at a house show. Exactly, exactly. I should mention that we moved over to Los Angeles with the Steamboat uh, Hercules match, and you have Jesse Ventura on commentary with Elvira and, and Mean Gene Okerlund at this point. So, or uh, I'm sorry, Lord uh, Alfred. Hicks. Lord Alfred. But I think did Lord Alfred do the whole time, or did he just come in at the 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 Hogan match? He was there the whole uh, yeah. time. You know what? Yeah, I I have him as soon as we get to Los Angeles being in there, and I didn't make notes of it actually who was for which match, yeah. but yeah, but yeah. Um, the next match in Los Angeles is adorable. Adrian Adonis with Jimmy Hart gets a win over Uncle Elmer by pinfall in three minutes. I think this is a one and done for Uncle Elmer. We don't see him at WrestleMania again. Uh, Adonis hit a top rope headbutt for the pinfall. It's funny when you when you, when, you, when I say the sentence, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat hit a high cross body for the pin. I don't think anything of it. When I say Adrian Adonis hit a top rope headbutt for the pin. That is something, and uh, and it wasn't necessarily uncommon. You know, that was something he did, but he's a big guy to be doing that. Yeah, and, and the way he did it, however, <laughs> well, you know, you know, like whereas uh, the dragon could have, you know, gotten as much air possible and spread his wings and flown halfway across the ring, Adonis kind of fell oh, off the top. <laughs> <laughs> and God love them, the production team. I have a note here saying I don't remember when I rewatched it, but the camera almost missed it completely. Yeah, like they were, you know, it was it was panning around the ring, and when, when it came back, he kind of was like mid fall and hits him, and you know, one, two, three, we're out of here in three minutes. Yeah, and, and to your point about the production at WrestleMania two, we're still not quite at like the level of production that we would expect from a WWF pay per view. Uh, exactly. By the time we get to WrestleMania three, we're okay, but at it's two, it's at, at two, it still feels like a dark room, you know, with yeah. a a light over the middle. So, <laughs> uh, the next match is is a it's weird. Okay, so you have Terry Funk and his brother Hoss Funk, which is Dory Funk. They're in a tag match against the Junkyard Dog and Tito Santana. The Funks get the win in 13 minutes. But I, I, I paused on the whole Hoss Funk thing because it's absolutely freaking ridiculous. Dory Funk Jr. is a Hall of Fame-worthy NWA, former NWA world champion. He's teaming with his also former NWA world champion uh, partner, Terry Funk and brother. Why? What is it? What is wrong with dory that you had to go with hoss what a ridiculous rename 
Exactly. And it's, again, it's, it's not like these guys are unknown. Dory and Terry are 45 and 41 respectively at this point. They're, you know, they're on the tail ends of their careers. If you know who they are, if you're going to use the funk name right. for name recognition, why in God's name would you let one keep his first name and make the other one change it? Makes no sense, but it's something Vince, it, it's not like this is the only time we're going to come across that, where you, you look at something and you go, why the hell did they do that? Exactly. Exactly. But uh, Terry Funk goes through a table, or I should say he gets slammed through a table on this. And uh, for WrestleMania two era, that's kind of surprising, right? You don't see yeah. that very much of that in this era. So yeah, absolutely. Nothing new for Terry Funk, but not the kind of thing you saw on WWF television. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Terry hit JYD with the megaphone from Jimmy Hart for the win. Once again, in Los Angeles, they're just like those people in New York. Audible bullshit chants for this one. <laughs> I, I love, you know, and that the crazy thing is when you think of the the jaded, the fickle fan, you know, you think of especially the last dozen years, but, you know, even the last 20 years or whatever. But uh, <laughs> there, there are stories going back to the 60s of fans being so pissed off over bogus and stupid finishes that, uh, you know, like San Martino Monsoon, they had a, you know, one of their series of three matches. There was such a wacky finish that, you know, they had sold out the garden like 13 dates in a row for, you know, and everybody was coming to see what they knew was almost exactly the same match but they were so pissed off at one of these finishes that they didn't sell out the very next show, which <laughs> once again had San Martino monsoon at the top of the card, which sold out everywhere they went. It's funny that, the, I mean, we're, we're kind of at the tail end of this, but the fans were really invested in wrestling Absolutely. when you, in this era, you know, this, this is sort of the end of that era, but, when you think when you if you go back and you watch all the tales from the territory that the rocks firm produced the fans brought a lot of emotion sometimes they would try to attack wrestlers after the shows and the parking lots and things like that um when uh and then aside from that when bruno lost the world title to ivan koloff the fans went silent because they were shocked so the fans just brought a lot more emotion uh to the uh to the endeavor so i guess i shouldn't be so surprised to your point with a chant bullshit here so uh but, they were investing right top of your head when you start thinking of this era yeah you don't think of them being quite so vocal but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. wrestling fans have always been wrestling fans yes okay hulk hogan versus king kong bundy uh in a steel cage match it is the debut of the big blue steel cage uh and the lead up to this i mentioned before king kong bundy had hit Hogan with consecutive avalanches on Saturday night uh, main event as the lead up. And Hogan had taped up ribs and doctors were telling him don't wrestle and all this stuff uh, or that he shouldn't wrestle. And uh, so they were trying to do what they could to sow some doubt. So some thoughts that Bundy had his number. And of course, Bobby Heenan is with King Kong Bundy here. So it's a whole big show. Hogan is the champion. Ring announcer Tommy Lasorda 
timekeeper Ricky Strather, referee Robert Conrad. Uh, if you know, I know one of the three on those uh, on those uh, celebrities. Although I think Robert Conrad, I believe, was a TV star. Yes, he's dead. So was uh, Ricky Schroeder, uh, Silver Spoons, Ricky Schroeder. Okay, yeah, that's right. Um, so Hogan gets the win by escaping the cage uh, in 11 minutes. But afterwards, afterwards, Bobby Heenan's trapped inside with Hogan. He gets his comeuppance. So, and and that was you know you know the home. It was a 10 minute plus match. Whatever, whatever you want to say. Doing my research for the bobby heenan episode that i did on his birthday back in november um bobby heenan found out two days earlier via an mri he had two fractured vertebrae in his neck that badly needed surgery the night before wrestlemania 2 the the tampa hospital he was in did not want him to leave so he made made contact you know he was you know he had a couple days off he was going to go to tampa get the mri whatever they didn't want to let him leave before getting the surgery so he called Vince and Vince said, if you don't get your ass to L.A., you're fired. You're not no showing the main event of WrestleMania. Right. So Bobby checked himself out against doctor's orders, jumped on a plane, went there, took a bump in the match and then went right back to Florida to get the surgery. So uh, taking that bump was I'm sure for anyone who cared about Bobby Heenan and knew what was going on, a hold your breath moment. Yeah. I believe it was episode 67. If people want to go back and listen to John's Bobby Heenan episode. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, that neck injury would kind of be ever present for Bobby for years and years and years and years. Uh, and it caused a lot of problems, um, you know, when it came to, to certain angles and things like that. Just ask Brian Pillman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would, but yeah, yeah. for reasons we covered in a different episode, we can't. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is that's WrestleMania two. Um, a good a good amount of celebrity involvement here. Not the best of matches or anything like that, but you know, a, a, I guess a good effort. And but we never got the three venue or a multi venue WrestleMania again. Um, and it, it's kind of surprising to me. I, and when you when you consider these days we've gone into two night WrestleManias, sure. it kind of surprised me that they wouldn't try to capitalize on multiple markets. Yeah. And uh, to be quite honest, you know, uh, I covered this in another episode as well. But the idea obviously wasn't Vince's. The idea of uh, you know a show, a pay per view show from multiple. Venues started with Jim Crockett promotion and um, Starcade '85, so that would be you know that would be in November, right around Thanksgiving time. Anyway, the way they did it was one match from the Omni in Atlanta, one match from the Greensboro Coliseum. So the fans are only ever watching one match at a time on the screen before they get live action in front of them. So for two venues, I think it would work great, but I think Vince. Yeah in stealing the idea felt like he had to one up it. So he went to the three and, and then to do four here, you and then you watch the other eight on TV four here and you watch before and after on TV. It just didn't work. Yeah. But if, you know, if they had gone back to the Crockett way of going, you know, two venues and alternating matches, I think it absolutely could work, especially with today's technology. It would, it, you know, it would be almost seamless. 
Right. And the fact that their set already includes an enormous screen. Right. So, and you know, and they're, you know, up to production value by this time. I, I think it would be quite enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is they, they don't even have to do that. They could just do night one in, say, uh, Los Angeles and night two in New York. You know, yeah. the, so, the trouble is then you're going to try to, you know, it's one thing to bring 80,000 people or whatever it is to one city to try to get them in two. Yeah kind of loses a little bit so i don't know maybe it's not as good idea but uh episode 86 for the the uh, starcade um discussion if people want to go back and listen to that Thanks, <laughs> all right that said uh that is wrestlemania 2 we'll be back tomorrow talk about wrestlemania 3 wrestlemania 3 is a real big one probably the most important of the first 39 so <laughs> <laughs> Not, so, much of an, of a, not much of an exaggeration there uh, right right so um so join us tomorrow for that uh and uh yeah that's it john anything anything to uh, sign off here no i think that's about it uh you know it was fun going back and watching this one but certainly not the best of quality skippable skippable yeah. <laughs> all right see everybody tomorrow